So now we talked a lot about the, from the seller point of view and, and themes we've seen on that side, Bruce. Let's really talk about some of the themes we've seen for clients. And this really comes... Welcome to the Live Greater View, a financial planning podcast produced by VLP Financial Advisors that discusses life, money, and perspective. We help clients live their best life at every stage through our VLP Live Greater partnership process. Thank you for tuning in. Great. So this is an exciting one, Chris, today. We've got the founder, Bruce Vaughn of VLP Financial Advisors, and um, also a very interesting topic. And I think one that's been talked about a lot, we can see, especially if you're an advisor in the wealth management space, is succession planning. And Bruce has really been a pioneer in this space. I joined Bruce back in 2001. You made your first succession planning acquisition in 1999 before it was coal. Yes, it was. I did it then. Yeah. And it really, I did it to help somebody out that was that wanted to leave the business. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, you know, wanted to make sure that his clients did well as well as he did well. Yep. And provided a path. Absolutely. Yep. And there's so much stuff that, you know, we've talked about over the years internally where we have just an organic conversation. And then I say, oh, I wish we had a mic or I wish, you know, we could have gotten all of that. And today's going to allow us to unpack some of those things. So hopefully this will help, you know, a lot of our um, business clients and just give a, a peek into some of the conversations we've had over the years. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and get started. Kick us off. Yeah. So one of um, the things that you've always talked about, Bruce, is just this fact that within our business, there's a very stark difference between a job, a firm, and then an actual business. That's something that stuck with me over the years. And, you know, there's some gray area there, but you were just, you know, very um, specific about there being those different pieces and there's certain things that go into each one. So I thought that would be a good place for us to start the differences there. And then obviously what made you, um, you know, take those steps from initially having a job to building a firm and then building, you know, obviously a bigger business. Yeah, I would say, you know, when I started, it was just me, right? I mean, I, I had a partner for 12 years. That didn't work out. I started over in 1996. And, you know, my wife and I just had our third child. So she was home pretty much the whole time. She was also a CFP at the time. And, uh, you know, we just had to figure out a way to make it go. And I, I, um, I got to this point where I said, my day is, is, um, is completely filled up. Like, I have no more capacity to do anything. And, you know, when you're small, when you're just by yourself, you have to you have to run the firm. You have to deal with your clients. You have to find new clients. There's a, there's a, lot, of, there's a lot going on that you have to take care of. And I just got to the point where there wasn't any more time in the day. And uh, one of our partners, Dan Lash, uh, um, had been an intern with me. And he came back uh, after a couple years working for someone else. And he said, I'm not doing real well. How can, you know, what, what should I do? And I said, you know what, I got a place for you right here. And, uh, and so that was really my first big hire. Mm-hmm. Um, I had part, some, a couple, couple of part-time people before that, they were doing administrative things. But um, in, fact, in fact, my first administrative hire was someone who I could afford four hours a day, two days a week, because that's all I could afford when I started. Anyway, you know, so you kind of, you kind of, the thing just evolves. And one of the things that I realized a long time ago was that the only way to really do well over the long run is to create leverage, right? right? So rather than just making more and more money, 
I just said, well, I'm going to live on a lot less and I'm going to keep hiring people. Mm -hmm. And I just kept doing that. The first hire you make is hard because you're literally taking a pay cut to do it. And, uh, and then, but then as you get bigger, every, every hire becomes easier. And, and, and you realize that as you hire people, you can give, you can find people who are really good at doing what you're not good at. Mm -hmm. And then you just expand from there. And that's kind of where we've gone. It's, you know, we're up to 20 employees now, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And did you ever consciously make that decision? Hey, this is all reliant on me to now it's relying on not just me. This could actually run without me. Talk a little bit more about that inflection point to where you said, hey, I need to really position this company, not just for when I'm here, but for decades. Yeah, I, don't, I think that became that was just a gradual process. Mm -hmm. I don't think there was any like inflection point per se. Although, I don't know, 24 or five years ago, I went to a meeting and uh, one of the speakers got up and said, um, how many people here have a profit in their business? And everyone's like looking around going, what do you mean? And, uh, and basically what he was saying is you make money you pay all your staff and your expenses and you take whatever's, whatever's left over out of the business. That's what you live on. And when you do that, the profit is zero. Yeah. He says, who's going to buy a business that has zero profit? So I really, I took that to heart. I really started thinking about that. And so I created a salary for myself at that point. I paid myself just like I paid all my other employees and and whatever was at the bottom line, that was my profit. And then when Dan and Rose came along and I decided to, I wanted to keep them, that was my main motivation. I wanted to grow and make sure that they didn't, I didn't train them and then they walked across the street and became my competition. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I could show them my financials and I said, look, you know, we have this profit and if I sell you this firm, I'll sell you part of the firm, I'll lend you some money and then you'll get a piece of the profits for the ownership shares that you have, and then you'll use that profit to pay me back. So literally, I was giving them a check, and they were giving me the same check back, pretty much. I mean, it was not quite, but it was pretty much. But then as we grew, the check that I was giving them got bigger, and the, and the check that, you know, that, I, that they gave me was the same size, and eventually they paid off that debt. Mm -hmm. And then we, you know, rinse and repeat, we kept doing that. and so. I've, my succession plan started uh, 14, year, 14 years ago, something well, like that. Well, you, you had to sign an agreement. Um, that was, I think, about 2003. It's a couple of years, but you really sold, really started the, the putting the everything to paper around 2008, but then the market dropped and we didn't execute till 2010. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that was, so that was my, my grand plan is we got to, we got to, I didn't want to, I didn't want uh, Dan and Rose to then go across the street. I just trained some competition that bad. And number two, then I had to go find someone else and retrain them. Mm -hmm. That just didn't sound like a really smart thing to do. So by, by selling them a little bit of the firm, I could lock them in. So it was purely, you know, for me, but no, I locked them in. And the other thing I, I, I found, I remember from this meeting was that they said, you know, if you're trying, if you're the only horse pulling the sled, you can only grow so much. But if you bring a couple people in, uh, 
over time and yeah, you, you, know, you make them owners, all of a sudden they're gonna work harder because now they're owners, they owe this debt back. And so instead of you know, growing at a, a linear rate, you'll grow at a much faster rate. And, and it's, as it turned out, I lent them the money for six years and after six years they paid it back. And, my, and my, the piece that I had left was worth more than the piece that I started with six years earlier. Right. So it really was a win-win situation for everybody. It allowed them to, to, to uh, become owners. It allowed them to grow their net worth. It allowed me to, to make sure I kept people. And really, I, I felt like I didn't really give up a whole lot. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that that uh that was awesome. Thank you for walking through that. And just the fact, like you said, when you leave profits in the business, then you actually have a business. If you're taking everything home, you can quote unquote call it a business. You're a business owner, but there's not anything left over, so it might not run on its own. And just that you know part always stuck with me. So that that's great. Yep. Um, and, and I think the other piece is you know, in this business, it's not just a financial business. It's a people business. And you get I've got clients that go back you know, to 1985 is my longest relationship. And, and so you become sort of friends with these people. I mean, they're important to you. They've helped you get to where you are. You've helped them get to where they are. And it, it, you really have a really nice relationship with these people. And, and if you're small, if you're just a one-man shop and you get hit by the proverbial bus, what happens to those clients? They're just out in the wind. Yep. And then what happens to your staff if you have, you know, if you have, they don't have a job anymore. And so there's so many, and, and you know, if, if that happens, what happens to your family? Do they get anything? Because they generally don't. Right. So, you know, there's more people to think about than just yourself when you're, you know, in, in this kind of business. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about some of the acquisitions that we've done. Um, specifically, first one you did was in 1999. Um, you did not. You've done nine, and we've done nine as a firm, and including you would be the tenth. Um, that's the plan. That's the plan. We're close. <laughs> um, so you know, and one of the things we've always talked about every time we've done a acquisition is something's always different. We we learn from the from all the ones we've done, and then we think you know everything, but Eh, something always pops up. Yeah, yeah. And um, and one of the things you just mentioned, which I think is really important and, and really kind of been the basis of how we've approached acquisitions and, and working with clients is you've always you've always said it needs to be a win-win-win. Yep. It's got to be a win for the seller, a win for the buyer, and it's definitely got to be a win for the clients. So talk a little bit about some of the you know the planning and and how some of these deals and, and what we've ha what we've done and what you've done to really help advisors through that process. Yeah, you know, almost all the practices that we've purchased are either one or two man shops, right? One advisor or two advisors, and they really didn't have none of them had a succession plan at all, and yet they all got to a point in their careers where they said. I'm kind of done, and I don't know what to do. And it, I, I, you know, I've I've looked at other firms to try and buy, and they didn't work out for one reason or another. And because because their their thought process didn't match mine, right? I mean, because I do think it has to be a win-win-win situation. It, it if if the 
if the seller doesn't feel like they got what they wanted out of it, and it's not just money. I mean, it's definitely not just money, but they have to know that their clients are going to be taken care of because they have this long-term relationship with many of their clients, and it's important to them. So, and, and they want to make sure their clients aren't being gouged and that they're going to be taken care of at least as well as they took care of them. So, you know, some, some opportunities that were out there, we just walked away from because it just didn't, it, our cultures didn't fit, mm. right? But um, so I think that once we found people that wanted to retire and, 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 and we could help them get whatever they wanted, and we, you know, you talk about money and you say, okay, well, this is what I think your firm is worth. And every firm, as we Everybody. know, is worth a different amount because it depends on how old your clients are. If you're fee-based versus commission-based, if you're, um, if you're selling annuities and you've, and you've taken all the commission up front and now you just have this big service issue with no revenue coming in, uh, you know, there, every firm is set up differently. And so you have to help people understand what is a fair price for their firm, what is reasonable. And, and that's really, with the people that we've um, helped retire, that's never really been a problem. They, they've always gotten what they wanted um, and, they, and they knew, because as we've gotten bigger, our the services that we provide are so much more, so much greater than when when it was just me, right? I I wasn't good at everything. I knew I wasn't good at everything. So I had to hire people that were good at the things that I didn't do well at, and we just kept doing that. Now that we have so many people, I've asked, you know, I asked you guys for help on things that maybe I should know because I've been in this business long enough, but y you know, you can't know it everything. You can't know everything about everything. So, it, it, they knew, so so people that we've purchased their practices from, we can provide a better service in almost every case than they could on their own. And so I think that makes people feel really good also. Yeah. And can you just talk about the timelines, how that's worked? I mean, obviously nine is a lot. I'm sure some took longer to develop than others, but what would like a typical uh, acquisition look like or just some of the backstory of how it all, you know, came to be? Yeah. I, um, one of the, one of the financial planning association meetings was called the IAFP back then. But one of the meetings I went to was on succession planning and the president of the association at the time, he was the, he was the, you know, he was releading this thing and there were three uh, advisors in the panel and I went up to him afterwards and I said, you look kind of old. I said, what are you doing? For, <laughs> what are you doing? And we ended up talking and it took, well, it probably only took about six months. And um, we found a play, you know, he moved into our, in our spot and, and, um, and I helped him transition his clients. Um, one of the people on the, um, uh, one of the other people on the panel, I called her up and I said, hey, what are you doing? And she said, you know, I'm not selling anytime soon, but I know someone who is. She's in my little study group. So I called this woman up and um, eventually, you know, we found we found a common a common ground. And and um, it, that probably took, I don't know, probably takes six months to a year. OK, for most for most of these things to happen. Mm -hmm. 
if they're going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think if you go over a year and you're negotiating, you haven't come to a conclusion yet, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> something's and up. It's probably not the. Yeah. It's not probably not a good fit. Yeah, something's up. And um, you know, I know some of the firms. It's been straightforward. It's been just mainly advisory clients. But then I know that we've bought. Uh, primarily retirement plan businesses mm-hmm. over the years, as well as a primarily annuity business. Can we just talk about some of the differences amongst the firms that we've purchased and some of the thoughts on uh, on that? Uh, yeah, the, the 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 401k business, um, the um, that was a quick exit. That was a quick exit, yeah. and 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 he had already sold his firm. That okay. guy had already sold his firm to to an advisor that was in, with his broker dealer at the time and it was a done deal and I called him up I said I said okay but how about your your 401k business we do some 401k okay. is your guy this successor is he going to do 401k and he goes you know I don't think he does so it was you know I carved out a piece that that fit into our what we do here that didn't fit into what his buyer was going to do and so you know that worked out pretty well. Um, the the annuity business uh, that was a that was a quick exit too. You know our our um, uh, our advisor the, the advisor uh, had he he was literally gonna the ne- I got a call and they said he's gonna make this deal tomorrow if you don't step up mm-hmm. and we'd really like you to step up. This is from our, from our broker dealer. So I called him and we got together. And uh, and that worked out, you know, that worked out fine. The annuity business, you know, I'm, um, it it all depends on how it's structured and, and how how people are doing it. If a lot of these older annuity books, people got a big commission up front, and then they didn't get any trails, and so you're servicing this book of business that you're not getting paid for, and uh, that 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 makes it really difficult. And those those businesses aren't worth a whole lot, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Um, and let's talk. We had a few that we purchased that had a mix of advisory and brokerage, yeah. and those probably have had the longest transition timeline. Um, I would say, looking back, you know, some depending on the client age, and in some instances, we had a scenario where we had to step up because of a medical issue. Um, yeah. But those tend to, because those relationships tend to be more sticky with the advisor, and their glide path seems tends to be a little bit longer. We've had one in about a year. I think it was our shortest. Yeah, I mean, we had uh, we had one uh, uh, one firm, two two advisors. They came in, and I think he was with us for four years after yeah. after he joined us. And you know, I'm always like, if you come in, you bring your clients, acclimate your clients to working with us. When you're ready to go. It's time to go, and it's it's. We really haven't pushed anyone out, right? You know, if if we can make it work, and you know, I always tell people, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay you for the work that you do here, and then we're going to pay you for the business that you that you created. You know, the value that you have right. in your business, and those are two separate things. And so, if the advisor wants to come in and just stay with us for a while. That works great. Okay. We'll we'll um, we'll pay them for the work that they do, and on top of that, pay them for their business over time. And then when they're ready to go, they can go, and and that works out really well. 
it allows us to structure the deal a little different and give them the flexibility. It, to use your um, analogy, you know, our business isn't a light switch; it's a dimmer switch. Right. You can, right. you know, you can just keep dimming down and and go to less and less clients, and in that scenario, it works out very well. But it does require a very different um, deal and and semantics of how things are going to work and pay out versus those who just kind of it's a quick switch. Yeah, and for me, for our business here. You know, I remember, I think it was eight years ago. I was doing, I was still doing all the HR stuff, all the benefits, all that stuff, and still trying to run the, you know, grow the business and run the business. And I, I remember my goals for the year. I put at the top. I said, I'm going to get bigger to get smaller. That was my goal. And so we hired a director of operations and took away all the administrative stuff off my plate. And then since then, you know, you guys have purchased more and more shares and I've I have less and less. So, you know, I've, I've worked myself out of a job. I don't run the business anymore. You guys run the business, which is wonderful for me. And I don't uh, I don't really have a whole lot of um, uh, uh, pressure to go out and find new clients. If clients come in, happy to take them on, help help the advisors that we have continue to grow and and then I've taken my my client base and I've been peeling them off slowly um, and and you know now I'm down to I just work with the the clients that uh, that I have left and that I that it's probably I think next year might be a good 10 days a month maybe if I wanted it to be <laughs> And uh, it's really nice. I, I just have great relationships with my clients, and that's all I have to worry about. And you guys have to worry about running the business, and it's wonderful. It's, it is wonderful, right, Chris? Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, that's that's great. Thank you for walking through that. And nine acquisitions, you know, obviously each one is going to be a little bit different, but at the same time, there's probably commonalities that you see across this. Let's talk about some of the common themes that we've seen across sellers uh, over the years. Well, I think I think the you know the biggest commonality is that most everybody in this business, and certainly all the sellers that we've encountered, they were all um, good people. They all cared about their clients. In some, in fact, some of them you think they were more of a social worker than they were a business owner or a financial advisor. I mean, they they really cared about their clients and they did what needed to be done for their clients. So, I, I think that's um, that. That trait, I guess, is what makes it uh, makes it work for us because because they they do care so much about their clients and and you know that's the way we are here, right? It's it's always the client first. That's just the way we are. Yeah. And uh, and I think the other thing is about that makes our firm a little bit unique is you know we have an open door policy right so if i don't know something i'll walk down the hall and walk into your offices and interrupt you and you know get to get whatever i need and and it's like that for our younger advisors coming in yeah, yeah. and um as far as you know taking a step back we always revisit well, what you know with with prospective you know practices that we're, we're looking at purchasing with the seller exactly what their options are you know, obviously, they have a different handful of options. They can either, you know, in some cases, just continue to let their business go, and you know, eventually, it will just roll off. Um, then there's, you know, other scenarios like we're talking about where you take a much more 
proactive approach. It tends to work out better for the seller, better for the clients. Um, let's unpack some of those different, you know, approaches there. Yeah, you know, some some people will say, you know what, I'm never going to sell. I'm just going to die at my desk. Well, that's great. I mean, if you really love to work and you don't have anything, and that's the thing, you got to have something outside to go to, right? Yeah. Yep. They always say, you know, you never you never want to to run away from something. You want to run to something, right? Yeah. And and I think that people who retire. Um, Sometimes they get pushed out and then they're not very happy in retirement. And sometimes some, I got friends that flunk retirement, you know, they yeah. find another job. And, and, uh, uh, but I, I think if you're, if you're running, if you're running to something, you have something outside that really is a much better thing. Yeah. Um, and I think um, there's always going to be obviously that relationship that advisors have with clients. You alluded to it, you know, decades of, you know, that relationship and they become very close with you. And I think. And if you die at your desk, how's that going to yeah. work out for your clients? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. One day they go, oh, I have a meeting with him tomorrow, but he died. So, I just. Yeah. I just had a meeting yesterday with yeah. a client who said they found out their advisor, they called the office and somebody else didn't even know the advisor died yet. And like they're like, well, that's great. Yeah. The client knew. It's in the obituaries. Well, and one of the firms I bought, um, the woman who I bought her practice, she had been working for this woman, another woman who was much younger than she was. And one day she went to the office and she wasn't an owner. She just was an employee. And one day she went to the office and there was police tape, and you couldn't get into the office. Yeah. And her, this, this, the, the owner's husband had murdered her. Oh, boy. So talk about getting hit by the proverbial bus. Yeah. You know, there was no, uh, you know, nothing, you couldn't do anything. So this poor woman who I ended up buying the practice from, eventually, she couldn't even get in to service her clients. There was no... There was no succession plan. There was nothing that she oh, wow. could do. And and so then the broker dealer, they came in and they said, oh, you know, well, we're going to just take over everything because we have the legal responsibility to do that. And so, you know, that was a that was a good lesson, too, to, you know, and, and I think today um, the 2018 study I saw said that like 60 3% of advisors, financial advisors, had no written succession plan, no signed succession plan. Which is a problem. So not even just talking about selling, it's talking about the thought of even if you don't, you know, if you aren't in, in a point to have a, a sell or an, you know, sell position, you still should have a backup plan. Absolutely. So, it, you, you know, we talk about that all the time. Proverbial bus. Yeah, we've talked to other advisors where we've said, hey, it doesn't have to be us, but if you want some backup to, again, to your point, you know, if an advisor dies, they have a family and, and children, they can't pay. The broker-dealer cannot pay the spouse if they're not licensed. Right. So, you know, having a firm to just have that backup plan is an opportunity to provide value where none could be. Yeah. And, and so, you know, back to your original question, you could die at your desk not good for your clients, not good for your family, not good for anybody, except maybe you, if that's what you wanted to do. You could sell to uh, an internal person, but most most practices, you it, even if you work for Merrill Lynch, you know, big company, you think, oh, that's a huge company. But most people who are working in an environment like that, it's just them, you know, they have their own practice, their own, uh, 
group of clients inside of that practice, and they they don't necessarily have someone who can take it over, right? So to get a to 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 develop, you know, to make that first hire, that first advisor that's going to be a full time advisor who might want to take over your business, you have to take a pay cut to do it. And most people, they they start out, they maybe have some administrative help, but then they make a certain amount of money that they're really happy making, and they don't want to take, you know, take a, a big pay cut to be able to hire that person. So most of the people in our business, even if they work for a bigger firm, it's just them. It's really just them. And so, you know, it's so it's that's a very hard road to go down. Um, one of the one of the practices I a uh, long time ago. Um, I, I worked with him. He was part of our broker dealer, and he he had a woman who worked for him, and he wouldn't sell her any of the practice. And one day she said, "Look, if you don't sell, I, I want to have ownership. And if you don't sell me some, I'm going to leave." And she left. And then he developed another woman. Same thing happened, and she left. And then he got so angry at the whole thing, he died at his desk. And it was just a disaster. And, and so developing, you know, getting big enough that you can have, you know, one or more people buy your practice is really hard. I mean, you have, because usually it takes two to three people to buy out one, to buy out one advisor. So it's hard enough finding, finding one advisor to take over. Now you got to find two or three to make that work. And it, it's not easy. So uh, you know, the other, the other choice you have really is to go outside and find somebody, you know, buy sell agreement with somebody outside who's willing to, to buy your practice. And one of the things we're seeing a lot lately is a lot of private equity and bigger, seen we've seen a lot of consolidation at big RIAs where they're buying, you know, that's the, the new trend. Yep. But Or broker dealers. Or broker dealers, absolutely. And, and part of the issue with that is, it, it, it may not be the best scenario for your staff, especially if you have some long-term employees. Could be, could not be, you don't know. So now we talked a lot about the, from the seller point of view and, and themes we've seen on that side, Bruce. Let's really talk about some of the themes we've seen for clients. And this really comes, I think we were talking about this earlier, some of this is um, projected from the advisor, right? We think that, oh, they're not going to want to work with somebody else. They want to work with a woman. They want to work with a, you know, a man. Um, but really kind of, it's not what we've seen, right? Really, there's all these preconceived ideas that at the end of the day, they just want to know it's somebody they can trust and, and that their values line up. Yeah, I think that's right. I think at the end of the day, you know, when you take over a client, when you buy a practice and you start working with that client, you have to walk the walk, right? You have to prove to that client that you are going to do what you say you're going to do. And as long as, and especially if if the um, if the if the selling advisor comes in and has a joint meeting with you and says, "All right, so we're going to have a meeting. I'm going to run the meeting. Uh, Bruce is going to sit in and get to know you a little bit, and then we're going to have a second meeting, and Bruce is going to run the meeting, and I'll sit in to make sure that everything goes well." That seems to be a really great way to to make that transition, to make that handoff. And then you just have to keep doing what you do and 
say what you're going to do and then do what you're going to what you said you'd do and it doesn't take that long really clients they really just want someone that they can trust with their with their financial situation yeah and just the fact that in that you know example that the advisor went through that process multiple meetings made that introduction you know i think a lot of times it gets lost that that's you know advisors actually going above and beyond what a lot of advisors in their industry actually do uh, and taking one of these other routes where they're, you know, essentially end that relationship abruptly or some other way that they're actually going above and beyond and actually doing that client in, you know, some way, shape or form a favor and their family a favor by making sure that's a smooth transition. Because obviously you can't expect, um, you know, your relationship with your advisor necessarily last forever. Um, so just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I have this dentist and uh, you think, oh, it's a dentist, right? But I went, I worked with him for, you know, he worked with me for a while, right? And one day I went in and they said, oh, he sold his business. Now you, this is your new dentist. And I was like, what? what? Like, where was the personal? This guy had no personal relationship with me, apparently. I thought we did. We, he yeah. talked to me about stuff. Apparently he had no personal relationship. Really didn't care about me at all. And um, and I think our business, at least the the you know, for me, I want my clients to know that I, um, that I'm going to put them with someone who I really feel confident in and that they have a great, you know, that they're going to do a really good job. And, you know, for me, the people that we've hired here, I I always tell my clients, I think they're all smarter than I am. I think you guys, uh, you know, you're more educated, you, you you know, you, you you just, you, you just know more about, um, more than I did when I was your ages, right? And so I, I feel really confident that when I decide to retire, my clients will all be well taken care of. Must be all that great mentorship. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but one of the things we also see with, you know, certainly in a couple practices we bought where the advisor was well in their 70s um, is you, you, we tend to see as we're having that relationship with the the new advisor and the new advisor is younger that some of these clients were already had a plan b oh absolutely yeah absolutely every when you get older like i my clients now often ask me well when are you going to retire what are you doing yeah. and you know my response is i'm you know i talked about the light switch and you know the dimmer switch and and I said, look, I will give you plenty of warning and we will have these joint meetings and I will um, I will bring another advisor in and make it, you know, like you and I have done on, on a bunch of clients already. And that makes them feel pretty good. But if, if I didn't do that with my clients, they would definitely have a plan B. They'd be going out to look for someone else just in case. Yep. And that is a concern because especially when you're doing a deal and you start getting into these processes and um, and the the client sitting across going like, when's this over? I, I got to call plan B. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so it goes back to having those you know conversations early with clients and, and telling them, I do have a succession plan. You know, even if you're still by yourself and it's just a, an agreement you've signed with a firm or somebody else, hey, there, you know, I have a thought process and here's where I'm going to go. Because we, t- we tend to see that that, when it hasn't been communicated, it makes things a little bit more challenging. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talked about some of these other practices that we've bought, just the fact that they've been one or two person firms, and then we fold them into, you know, our larger firm. 
And with that, the client experience tends to be upgraded. So we go from this initial you know, period of trepidation where the advisor is not necessarily sure, the client has some sort of hesitation. Then we get through that initial 12 to 24 month period. And a lot of times the clients are saying, wow, you know, now all of a sudden I have access to other investments that I couldn't use before. Uh, I actually have a financial planning, you know, piece that I'm able to implement over time. So I always think that that's really interesting that at first on really both sides of, you know, the seller's, um, you know, side, so to say, between the seller and the client, there's that hesitation. Fast forward a couple of years, everybody seems to be in, in a better place. Yeah, they sure do. I, and, you know, most of, most of the clients that we've brought on through these acquisitions, um, so I'd say some of them had a, funny, a written financial plan, but many of them didn't. Yeah. And, yeah. and even the ones that, um, you know, thought they were in really good shape and they really had confidence in their advisor, you say, well, you know, let's look at what it's going to look like in the future. Let's model out where things are going to go in the future. And they say, wow, we've never done this before. This is really, this is really great. This makes me feel so much better. So, yeah, we, we can definitely provide more services than a, than a sole prop can today, for sure. And that leads to the question of sometimes where our fees have been higher and we have to have that conversation. Um, and we actually just did that this year with a lot of clients on the, on the last um, practice we merged in. And that's, that's a concern, right? Because you're always going, geez, you know, what are they going to say? And what we found is that they see the value, right? Yep, yep. And, you know, they say, I really appreciate what you're doing. I, I, love, what, I love being with you. And you, you charge me what you think it's worth, and I'll, and I'll pay it because... And, and really, you look at our fees anyway, and they're below market for the most part. So it's, you know, we're not... We're not gouging anybody. We're not, we're not paying, we're not getting people to pay like the, the, the big firms. You know, they're, they're much, they're, their fee structure is much greater than ours because they have more overhead than we do. Yeah. And from a seller's perspective, you know, they're looking at their business, the client base they've worked with for a long time, and they always bring up these things that um, they're concerned with, whether it's, hey, how do we initially communicate this to clients? How do we conduct that initial meeting? Um, after that initial meeting, there's always going to be stuff that comes up after the fact that the client didn't think of during the meeting. There's emails or you know phone calls. There's always something that seems to come up along the way. I thought it would be good for us just to talk about really that general process of communicating, having those meetings, and just the fact that having that experience across nine different firms really helps and goes a long way versus if you're an advisor, you choose to fold into somebody who's never done this before. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing, I, I was just talking to a young lady who took over a practice from someone else. And uh, I just, she's a friend of a friend. I was talking with her. And, uh, and she said, I really need to come talk with you. And, uh, and I said, well, well, why is that? She says, because everything that we do at our firm is reactionary. Everything that we do is reactionary. And, you know, we're not like that. Like, we have scheduled meetings. We're constantly, you know, getting in touch with our clients and saying, okay, you need to, you need to schedule a meeting with, with, this, with your advisor. And we want to see our clients, you know, once or twice a year at least, and, unless other things come up. Um, and we're really good at being proactive about getting them in there, right? And not, turns out that's not the way most firms work. They're very reactionary. If the client calls them up, they take care of the client. But it's 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 not proactive like we are. 
and that leads into when we're doing these acquisitions you know we've we've done enough that we have systems and processes we understand what data we need to get what the process is from just the introduction to the paperwork to the agreements to you know making that handoff um, and I think that's a big a big difference from and just knowing I've been with you for eight of the nine well I guess in, in ten nine including yours since I was as you would say handcuffed um, but uh, nonetheless you know each one of those was you know a little different um, as far as the process because for whatever reason but for the the, the most of it, oversight, the, the big part, you know, all the parts that we have to do are, are generally the same. And back to your point is being proactive is our goal is to always kind of stay ahead of that. Yep. And and I think a big, big part of it is is really having that open communication with the client and, and the uh, advisor who's transitioning. Yeah, yeah. And we're, you know, we work as hard as we have to work. I mean, we work, we work really hard to make these these transitions work because – if if we if we do it well, then everybody wins. Yeah. Right. The the selling advisor wins. We win by keeping all the clients. The client wins by really understanding and uh, the the value proposition that we bring during the table, and they're happy. And so it, it it makes sense to to work really hard to get this thing to work. And one of the things I really admired in some of this, what you've put together as far as negotiations, and um, you've always given upside to the retiring advisor if they add value in that transition process and in every case they end up making more than what we thought the original yeah. the original you know deal was because them having some skin in the game and us being to be able to be proactive maybe bringing in additional assets um and that transition has worked out really well yeah that's i think that's important too because you know if you're selling and and you you want the most for your practice you want the most you can get and at some point you know you, you you know as the buyer you say well it's not worth that you know but this is what it's really worth and 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 if we can agree to that fine and if we do better you'll do better right we'll make it so that we can uh, we can give you some upside if things work out the way you think they're going to work out all right so Let's um, kind of in wrapping up, you know, I think one of the things we should talk about is how these acquisitions have allowed you to build us and us to build this firm where we can bring in younger advisors, younger talent, uh, which is key to your succession plan, which is key to my succession plan um, and, and how that's benefited, you know, our clients also. Yeah, I think that what what's happened over time is that as we've grown we, we're, you know, clients are getting referred to us. We're bringing new clients, and if we do another acquisition, we bring these clients in, and it's it's always a, um, it's like it's kind of like a moving target. You you have to you have to grow your capacity, then you have to fill the capacity, yeah. right? And you don't want to be in a position where, like if, where where you're taking on too much and you can't absorb the that you can't absorb it all because you don't have the capacity. So we're always, like last year we brought in two new advisors, yeah. right? And and we're growing some internal advisors. You know, I've, um, uh, some of the people who've worked for me in, in different positions, uh, my client service manager became, a, became an advisor eventually. 
so you know you're kind of you're constantly trying to grow people, grow your staff, grow uh, whether you have to bring in outside people or develop people inside. Um, that's really allowed us to 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 increase our capacity, and you know we can like we we bring in somebody from uh, from college and we can pay them a pretty decent salary. We have great benefits, and you know we can we can afford to to have them do other things for us before they they're ready to take on clients and it's it's allowed us to grow our bench strength you know to grow that to grow that staff and and make sure that we're training them well and that's really helped us grow as well and one of the things that we've always talked about is just the fact that this business is constantly changing. Every three, four, five years, there's either new investment products, new technology, new something within the financial planning realm. And clients are best served by firms that are healthy, firms that are growing, firms that are thinking two and three steps ahead. You know, we're putting together financial plans not for the next three or four years. It's for, you know, obviously decades. So you need to make sure that as an advisor, if you're going to sell your practice, you sell to somebody who's thinking that far ahead. And obviously, if you're a client, making sure that you're working with a firm that has all of those pieces in place. Absolutely. Yeah. I think just in closing, I think a few key points is one, you know, if you don't have a succession plan or a document, really encourage people to do that because advisors, because it's important. You get hit by the proverbial bus. And how many people are going to, in in our business, how many people are going to retire in the next decade? 40%. That was the the most recent study um, that I saw that 40% of advisors are expected to retire in the next decade. Um, The average advisor age is 57. And how many of them don't have a succession plan? 40% 40% also. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. so what happens to those clients and their families and their, you know, yep. there's just, it doesn't make sense. We're financial advisors. We're financial planners. We should have the responsibility to plan for ourselves. And, you know, I would, I would say that we have done a really great job with that here. And I'm so, I'm so happy with the way things turned out for, for me personally, but I'm also really happy with the way things have turned out for you guys because, you know, it's probably the most proud thing I've ever done is other than my children, um, you know, to, to see you guys create this firm and grow this firm. And, 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 you know, you'll continue to grow it way beyond what I, whatever I could have done. So I think that's the greatest thing about, about where we are and what we've done. And, um, you know, I'm really proud. I'm really happy and proud of what you guys have done at this point. Well, it's been a great journey and it's been, uh, it's been fun. I can't wait to see where we go from here. And and your dimmer switch will take a while, which is good. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, well, thank you both. I feel like we hit on a lot of points. And, you know, I'm so glad that we got to record a lot of the stuff that we've talked about over the years. So that was a lot of fun. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Chris. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Live Great Review. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify and recommend our podcast to family and friends. To learn more about VLP Financial Advisors, please check out our website at vlpfa.com. Thanks again. And now for our necessary disclosures. Securities and advisor services offered through Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. 
a broker dealer and registered investment advisor. All investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. There is no assurance that any investment strategy will be successful. The views stated in this podcast are not necessarily the opinion of Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned. Due to the volatility with the markets mentioned, opinions are subject to change without notice. Information is based on sources believed to be reliable. However, their accuracy or completeness cannot be guaranteed. Past performance does not guarantee future results.